Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Women Who Rebrand. Today I am joined by the lovely Keely Tavner and we are discussing narcissistic relationships. So um, during this um, podcast episode, I am, like I said, um, joined by Keely, Keely Tavener, and she is an empath and narcissist expert, psychotherapist, well-being consultant, author, group facilitator, supervisor, and speaker. Um, Keely has been featured in Closer, BBC One Extra, The Metro, The Huffington Post, to name but a few. And she also runs Key for Change, which provides her clients with opportunities to talk with us psychotherapist, counsellor or other professionals online um, as well as face-to-face. She's also the author of Why Love Hurts, which is designed to wake you up by taking you on a journey where she breaks down why self-love is fundamental to relationships and why getting woke is the key that will revolutionise your love life. So welcome, Keely, and thank you for joining me. You're welcome, Sarita. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello. So we're literally going to get straight into it because, um, yeah, I I really want to do this episode for the longest time because I think it's so important, especially for the majority of the listeners of Women Who Rebrand, a kind of that kind of mid age kind of stage. They may not be in relationships, they may have come out of relationships, and I feel that I've just met so many women who kind of get to this stage of life and they feel that they're not where they want to be based mm-hmm. on what they see online, based on what their friends are doing, all the happiness that people share. They don't share everything, obviously. And I feel like um, some people just feel like they need to settle, which I don't think is the case. So I just wanted to break it down, um, have a discussion and just be really honest this episode. Women Who Rebrand is a UK-based lifestyle platform that champions growth, inspiring women to live authentically while navigating the challenges of modern-day life. The platform is home to the self-titled podcast and insightful articles covering careers, health and wellness, and relationships. Join our online community at Women Who Rebrand. Keely, mm-hmm. you are a psychotherapist. Now, not a lot of people have gone through therapy or anything like that. Some people have joined like um, online groups and speak to counsellors. Could you just explain what the difference between a psychotherapist is and a counsellor? What's the difference between the two? Well, I think you, we need a little bit of history about the field. When I began to train, they were going to um, change the field so that you had counsellors and psychotherapists. So it was gonna become a regulated industry. At the moment, psychotherapeutically and the counselling world isn't um, isn't authorised in that sense. Authorised isn't the right word. Um, anyone can set up, so it's not a protected title. Anyone can set up and call themselves a psychotherapist or a counsellor. Um, we currently volunteer, voluntarily, are, I'm a part of the BACP. British Association for Counselors Psychotherapists. So what happens was it was going to be split to counsellors who would have to have a diploma, psychotherapists would have a master's. So when we use those titles, and probably why we get precious about those titles, I know I have done so in the past, is because I've done a master's for my qualification, which when I was training was told the industry will become regulated and you would have, you'd either be one or the other. 
Right. Right. So because I felt that, you know, um, it would be better for me to have a master's, let's be, you know, I chose to go that option. So it's one of the reasons why, you know, we can be precious about our titles because of the level of training and the financial investment that's come with that. Mm. Um, the the industry hasn't been regulated so anyone can call themselves a psychotherapist or a a counsellor anyone can set up and do that as if you were a psychologist you can't do that you can't call yourself a clinical psychologist because you have to register with the HBC and generally you find in society they they have a higher regard for psychologists than psychotherapists because psychologists are regulated they have to have a protected title by the health professionals council so there's this kind of discrimination within the field that makes sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah um so that's what the difference is so the way i was trained is that we go deeper and work with people for longer terms right okay and our training is um, deeper Okay, so what made you get into this kind of field of work, in spe- specifically um, narcissists? Well, it was the mayhem in my own relationships, because that's the wonderful place, because we're all wounded healers, right? So I began to under- try to understand what the hell I was going through, why I kept going back, getting pregnant, and staying in this relationship that wasn't healthy for me. And so what I... Did what I was fortunate enough to come across was the Jan Levansant's work in the meantime. And that for me was the first place where I really began to explore my relationship with my partner, my relationship with myself, and actually how I created, co-created the misery that I didn't want for myself. And I found that fascinating. I found that incredibly intriguing because prior to that, I'd just see myself as a victim. I'd love so much. I'd done this. I'd done that. I'd loved like the power balance, you know, and um, I couldn't work out why things weren't working in my favour. And so reading, and I didn't leave school with any for qualifications. I was never a reader, um, but I could read about relationships all day. And that was my first book. And then the more I began to read more of a Jan Levansant, she then spoke about, you know, educating herself, going back to college. And that just echoed what I felt I needed to do for myself as well. Wow. So do you think it's important for therapists and counsellors and, you know, people that are helping to have experiences in those fields? Do you think it's beneficial? I think it is fundamental, personally. Um, And I know that that's one of the reasons people seek me out, because they've had generic therapy. And when you have generic therapy for something like narcissism, actually sometimes teaching people coping strategies or to be assertive is actually quite dangerous for them because you're dealing with very volatile personality types. So I believe based on the niche that I'm in, in terms of narcissism, having a therapist alongside you who has walked the walk, who understands that I think is quite valuable and essential. Yeah. Because, you know, for many people, you know, I, you know, sometimes you know, you, you, the reality is my field traditionally is you don't give advice. You don't tell people what to do. And actually, I have to flip that sometimes because sometimes people are actually so bewildered and lost and confused. They don't know what to do. They need to be told. Now, what they choose to do about that is up to them. But sometimes I do tell people 
And then sometimes they'll go away and they'll watch these things manifest. They'll think I'm like a miracle worker, like I've got a crystal <laughs> ball. You know? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I just yeah. see this, I see this manifest time and time again. I think plus my experience of working in prison meant that I was working along narcissistic, psychopathic, sociopaths for eight years. So I think I have a very intimate understanding of, of both sides. Yeah. You know, as an empathic person, but also an empathic person who is attracted and drawn to narcissists, psychopaths. Like, these are things that we need to be very mindful about as people who have a high degree of empathy, a high degree of agreeableness. It actually sets us up for very volatile relationships, but it's also dependent on our childhood traumas so you might be an empathic person but you got you know the love you needed from both parents so you're far much more you're much more grounded however if you've got your you know unresolved childhood traumas absent parents present parents but they're also absent it becomes the perfect storm and it's one of the reasons why highly empathic people can often end up with psychopaths sociopaths narcissists and we need to be really clear about about that and I'm I'm not ashamed to tell my story to help others to be like oh it was just me yeah you know yeah this is like women writing to men on death row it's all that kind of stuff right yeah it's it's my 600 pound life and the people who facilitate the person to become 600 pound yeah the the, the person who who looks like the do-gooder but actually they they feed off of someone's stuckness by trying to help them, by help them, by trying to change them. But actually that's our own trauma. And that's one of the reasons why, personally, I was always drawn to these people who I wanted to fix, who I saw the utmost potential in and felt that if I could do enough, love them enough, commit to them enough, ultimately be the parent that they've never had, right? Now I'm psychologically minded. I'm trying to be the parent they've never had. Now I, I, you know, now once you get it, you're able to then think about changing the only person you can change. And often us empathic people don't want to do the work on ourselves. We get stuck in victimhood. Oh, poor me. Look what they've done. Look at all the things I've done. But why do you keep doing it then? So because the only... But, but then one of the only ways you get a sense of yourself is by helping people. If you're not helping people, you feel redundant. You don't know who you are. You can't even receive. So if people want to buy you a coffee, you have an argument at the till. You can't let somebody do anything for you. So you have to have these people who you want to fix in your life. So you create unconsciously, you create your own trauma. See, I haven't looked at it like that before. Hey, well, listen, Sarita, it's deep. <laughs> and the insights are deepening, right? Yeah. The more I'm yeah. doing this work, the more I'm seeing more and more. I'm very much focused on our egos, the empath's ego. Our ego's ridiculous. We've got massive egos, but we don't think of it because we're so busy talking about, oh, the narcissist's got a massive ego and you've got to keep stroking them. What about yours? Why won't your ego let somebody help you? So... When you talk, when you use the word empath, I've heard the word empath used quite a lot of time, like in the spiritual sense, but, you know, as in the relationship sense, as in your relationships with other people. What, 
is it like like the chicken and egg kind of situation? Like, what comes first? Are you are you an empath naturally, like inside, or were you kind of raised to be empathic? Or being an empath is that the result of being around sort of narcissistic people and treading on eggshells? So you're just hyper or aware of other people's feelings, etc. So, so what this brings. Absolutely. I, I totally get where you're coming from. This brings us into the nature nurture debate. Am I a naturally empathic person or actually was the trauma of my childhood one where I developed empathic traits because maybe in a family where I had no value, I worked out if I was helpful and kind, I had some currency. Mm-hmm. Then I was needed. Then I was desired if I could help. So it's, it's a two way process. It's also environmental, but it's also hardwiring. So in terms of personality traits, we as empathic people score high on agreeableness as a personality trait, which includes empathy. So once you get into the psychological world, there isn't a trait for trait called empathy, but it's under agree the personality trait of agreeableness. And agreeable people tend to be yes people. We tend to smooth things over. We don't like conflict. So that's where you get the personality trait. But also what you you get is how we have dealt with our own traumas. So, So one of the ways we've learned to cope is by potentially by being nice and kind and caring. So it can also be our trauma response that heightens our capacity to be caring. Because again, we realize if we can be helpful, we have valid we get validation. People want us, they need us. So it's a, often a childhood, it's, it's the psychology of a child who wasn't valued. That's what we're dealing with in our adult life, our 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 trauma response that has never been up for scrutiny. We've just been operating in that in that from that place until it takes us to break point you know so like today I spoke to somebody that way of working she's now what 35 years old has taken her to breakdown point and so now it's a wonderful opportunity it doesn't feel like it but it is from my sense to then begin to see the, how the psychology of a traumatized child is influencing her behavior in the now where she says yes 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 and then two minutes later is filled with resentment because she's overcommitted herself. And then she's getting panic attacks. Then you've got shingles. Then you've got ulcers. Then your IBS is playing up. Because the body keeps a score. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. So if, so if you are aware that you're currently in a situation where it kind of feels like a cycle so like you said when when some people are empaths they they are in victim mode and they're thinking where was me this person did this and this person did this and possibly just waiting for someone to either rescue them or give them that support or tell I guess the narcissist to be nice why are you doing this because this person's so nice they don't deserve it where how do they kind of recognize their part in it and um, end the cycle? 
Mm. Is it possible to end the cycle? Well, I think you, you have to get to a point, like I said, you know, people often come to me as a, 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 a you know, they've, they've exhausted all options. And they're at the point where if they're not careful, usually people might come to me after going to the doctors and the doctors prescribe them medication. People come to me because they're in pain. So you have to get to a point where the pain is sufficient for you to want change. Because for a lot of us empathic people, we know we need change, but we're not in sufficient pain yet. It's got to hurt enough. You've got to be insulted enough, exploited enough. Maybe it's when they don't pay you back, your credit's now screwed because you've taken out a mortgage. I'm not even talking taking out car finance nowadays. Like the levels are high. You see, so it's that that cripples you. That means that you go from contemplation into action. I, I have to do this because it's killing, you know. So that's 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 a fundamental aspect. And usually, I think more so nowadays, what happens, obviously, people start Googling, they try to work out someone's behaviours, and then they might stumble across the term narcissism and then be like, O-M-G, like, yeah. I thought it was just me. And that, mm. that can be a wake-up call, but one of the problems I often see for people is that they then they they go on i'm gonna get loads of knowledge right so they keep watching youtube videos they buy the books um and actually that is helpful to some degree but unless you you know you want to become a professor of narcissism what does that mean about you are you not then just doing the same thing which is all about them researching them buying books about them and like I said to some degree that's helpful but we need to flick the mirror to look at us and that is I believe it's a beautiful place a beautifully painful growthful place to be because that's the game changer mm. so recognizing your part and I guess breaking down how you're involved in it as well because obviously someone can't just be narcissistic on their own that it's like a no. like if you said a relationship Absolutely. together and feeding off and bouncing off each other co-created but you have to be it's the crisis you see what usually happens is our ego is involved because we're often optimistic people we think if I do this if I do that if I keep being nice you know if I keep saying yes so we have to exploit all of that we're stubborn people. Us empathic people can be very stubborn, you know. Yes, we live in a little hope land. Hopeful hope. Yeah, but it's ah. hopeless hope, right? So we keep yeah. doing all these things to manipulate people. Let's talk about it, right? Empaths manipulate through kindness and caring, creating dependency, right? So these are all our manipulation tactics. We're not conscious of it, but you know I keep it real. Once I start to get on my empaths, I've got to be real with us. We're manipulating. Why do you need to go above and beyond? What is that about for you? So it's exhausting all of that. That takes us to crisis. And that is the place. That is the window of opportunity. That's when we might be less defensive and open to starting to learn and understand how we've done it to ourselves. Mm. Yeah, but, but, it, but it very much depends on how defensive you are and how much denial you live in 
But some people, let me tell you, sister, they don't like me if they do denial. I'm not the therapist for everybody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you want to do denial, that's fine. I'll go so far, but that's fine. Because denial means your defense is alive. That means behind your defense, there's a nugget of truth that you don't want in your awareness yet. You're not ready for that. That's, that's why you have to be sufficiently in crisis, sufficiently broken to surrender and that. I just, he helped me, man. I can't, I can't keep on. I'm dying. This is killing me physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. It's interesting what you said, though, in terms of the manipulation. So it's not necessarily, well, for me, I, when you say manipulation, I guess there's connotations of like mean spirited or something, you know, bad or a bad person. But I think what you mean is the manipulation in terms of if someone is empathic and that people pleaser, they're pleasing, but there is a part of them that's hoping, well, if I'm nice, they're going to be nice to me. So if I go above and beyond, they might not necessarily be go above and beyond for me, but they might be nice so it's kind of like that unspoken exchange of niceness in hope of getting something back but then I guess the narcissistic person um will play on that and take advantage of that they exploit it Hmm. and we stay because now we're trapped so now what you're going to do is you're going to dig deeper into your going above and beyond because you're of the view that that will convince them that that will let, let's change the word because people don't like the word manipulate people prefer prefer the word um influence right right you right. see how you can use language right because we look at instagram <laughs> right what they call Sounds them nicer. influencers yeah. no one's going to say yeah. manipulators Right? right? So let's change the word. Let's man- move away from that to evoke any, oh, am I being manipulative? Yes, a lot of us empaths are manipulative. We're not conscious of it. Mm-hmm. As you raise your consciousness, that's why I said, working with me, if you've got a lot of denial going on and a lot of defense mechanism, I'm not for you. I'm not here trying to break through any of that because you've got to be in sufficient pain. What we're looking for here is the aha moment. Because we gotta check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Because remember, if they if 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 we lose it, you know, if we lose it, this is breakdown, you know. This is people going on wards, being medicated, where choice is taken from you. I'm unapologetic. We're saving your life here. You know? And look, we, we'll always buck up against defensive that we're not always conscious of. But this is where we have to realize. What what is my intention in going above and beyond? So this is the action you want to take, but you need to get underneath the iceberg. And that's what we teach on Navigate Narcissism now. Get underneath the iceberg. What is my intention in doing this? And let me tell you, once you get clear on your intention, now you have a choice. Do I continue or do I pull back? If you choose to continue to go above and beyond, you do that to yourself. So don't come crying to me, Key. Oh, Key, look what happened. But hold on, hold on, hold on. We talked about intentions last week. And you were clear on your intentions and you chose to. That's fine. What's the lesson? Because sometimes we need to do that. We need to get the lesson. Because it's actually when we stop 
the above and beyondness, that actually you begin to get the fears, you begin to see the guilt in its rawest form. The fear and the guilt is what controls you. And until you're ready to, 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 to face that, you'll keep going around in vicious cycles. But that's okay if you need to, but at least you do so consciously. That's the difference. We just want you to make a conscious choice that actually, I know this relationship ain't gonna go nowhere. I know I'm spending a lot of money on a watch for that person's birthday, and I am choosing to. Cool. Just don't lie to yourself. That's all I ask of people. Don't lie to yourself. It's the worst thing you can do for yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Be real. Be genuine with yourself. Because that way you, you don't have to get into this psychological trauma in your mind's eye of denying it, pushing it down, pretending. You don't have to do that to yourself. You're just making an empowered choice to sell yourself short. And as, as much as that doesn't sound good, it means you're making a conscious decision and that's the power. And that is actually better for you than to be gift giving and thinking that you're just doing it because you're doing it because I'm an empath out of the kindness of my heart. Nah, nah, you've got an intention. Mm. And so we get really clear about your intentions. And that's fine. Remember, some of the some narcissists are our parents, they're our brothers, our sisters. Like we don't want to just let go. So it's okay. My only my only hope for you is that you just don't lie to yourself because it traumatizes us. And that's where we exercise the denial and the defense. And that, 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 that's, that's a head game. So we were talking about empaths, and that's kind of like a buzzword that I hear a lot. Absolutely. But so does the word narcissist, narc. But I, is there like a clear definition between narcissistic personality disorder and narcissistic behaviour? Does everyone have the capability to be narcissistic at times or is it literally to do with the disorder, the personality disorder? What do you think? Well, I mean, if you go for the medical model in terms of um, narcissism, it's a personality disorder. And as empathic people, I believe we have to be very careful of people with personality disorders. As a psychotherapist, it's something I have to be very mindful of because there will be a clash, there'll be a friction. So the DSM-5 um, is the classification manual that is used to classify people. Uh, that's an American diagnostic tool, which is funded by the drug companies. So it's something to be mindful of. Um, I, as a psychotherapist, don't diagnose people. Um, so I think one of the the the, the, the traits is about you, you've spoken about behaviors but if we go back to personality traits empathic people tend to be highly agreeable narcissists tend to be disagreeable people they are all about themselves empathic agreeable people tend to be about everybody else that's where we get the perfect the perfect storm now we all have narcissism within us it's a, it's a spectrum but for me what characterizes it is is actually the lack of empathy the lack of empathy is something to pay attention to. I don't go around diagnosing anybody as narcissists, yeah? but I know my empath crew. Narcissists don't come to therapy. If they do, they have an agenda. They don't stay alone. Most won't tend to like people like myself. They'll have an agenda. For example, I need to go because my, you know, I'm getting divorced and I need to evidence that I'm having therapy, right? And that's usually to get a, a, a better price, a better deal on the divorce. 
rather than a genuine interest. Just as couples therapy with a narcissist and empath, I won't do it because it's not helpful. Because a narcissistic individual will be trying to seduce me to get me on side. And when they realise I'm not the I'm not the one, and that happens in front of their partner, they'll have to do, tear me down as the bad therapist. Yeah, so it's yeah, not advisable. Yeah. So so yes, we all have tendencies and, and let's talk about, you know, narcissistic empaths, right? Because oh trust me. What is it? They sound dangerous. <laughs> listen, listen, the other day I just had to make up the term myself because all of a sudden everybody's an empath. Everybody's now an empath. Everybody's been victimised. I find it yeah. very interesting. Yeah, but when you start to look in, inside the traits, it's not going above and beyond, right? Mm. Continuously feeding someone, continuously giving them money. To me, there's, there's aspects of that that's narcissistic empathy because it's done with this agenda and that ego needs to be fed. As a psychotherapist, I do YouTube videos. You know, I have to be very much mindful of my own narcissism. You know, when people revere me, put me on pedestals, your ego can take over. The reality is I've not changed anybody. People have made changes through our programme but not directly through me because I encourage people to make personal choices. So there is a form of narcissistic empathy and I, I see it. It's something I'm articulating my ideas around because it can also enable people to take no responsibility for themselves. They don't know, they don't practice any safeguarding of themselves and keep going from crisis situation to crisis situation. And it's the agenda behind the gift giving. Combined so with defence, combined with that defence, when you hit that defence, you get a real different insight. So if you felt that you, say after listening to what you just said, if you felt that, hold on, maybe I am an uh, empathetic narcissist or I'm a narcissistic empath what could you do if you recognize that in yourself well this is and you obviously aren't happy with that and you don't want to be that you know you don't want that for yourself well it's a process of developing your self-awareness which is a principle of my program navigate narcissism now self-awareness which is that you have to learn to be you know and it's all growthful it's all growthful like these things don't harm us if we're not defensive about it. It's like, oh, to get curious about that. Mm. Like, you know, what is that about? Is that actually a part of me being manipulative? That you begin to kind of get a bit more clear with yourself. You begin to, as you begin to question and you get clarity about, okay, I'm going to be doing X, Y, Z. And you don't want to stop. If you choose to keep doing it, then, then, then you, you create your own misery. Then that's a choice you make. But, but that empathy, it, it, it's, it's, it's a very subtle process. And, it, and it, like I said, you've got to develop that self-awareness, but to, be de- like to not defend yourself, to be able to be. And that's one of the reasons why I often talk about it, you know, in terms of my own self, 
that I have to be very careful of that. What is that about? Because, you know, cults can develop out of that. That's how cults happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cults happen because, you know, a very good documentary about cults is called The Vow. And you can see how, you know, that people put people on a pedestal and he comes across as all empathic and so on and so forth. But there's always this agenda to give people the illusion of choice. But really, there's not often choice. And so it's how you begin to notice these things in your own self. You know, so, for example, I remember once during lockdown, there was a friend I had and I, I offered him some support, financial support through the hardship. And he said, no, I was so offended. I was so offended, so deeply offended. Like, how could they not <laughs> accept my kind gesture? Mm-hmm. And that's when I clocked myself. You're not really giving that person choice then you're giving them the illusion of choice. Mm. Because when they reject your good intention, which often, let's be frank, helping someone comes with strings, right? There's some strings attached that we're not always conscious of. They rejected that and I was offended. So what is that about me? What is my intention in offering? Why am I asking a question when actually when they reject it, I'm deeply wounded? We must respect free will. And we must respect that actually with giving, there's always something that comes with it. But like I said, this is a journey of of self-awareness and being kind of really honest with yourself and so I'm always happy to demonstrate that for people as we all journey journey through (laughs) Mm. oh you look very contemplative (laughs) (laughs) well you've got me thinking now because I know I know hands down I'm one of them people pleasers I always have it I'm getting very I'm getting better at it like Mm -hmm. setting boundaries saying no and actually thinking properly so if someone say ask me a favor or ask me to go somewhere I'm like right I'm gonna sit here I'm not gonna reply straight away because obviously my go-to word is yes but I'm gonna think does it serve me what what would I like you said the intention if I say yes what does that actually mean what does that entail so I tend to break things down a lot longer than I guess I would have before or some people would because I I'm hyper aware because I know it's like well back in the past a friend I'm gonna get them the bestest present ever and I'm like it's gonna make me feel so good and I'm like okay why does that make you feel good because it's not about you it's about the the friend it's like it's their birthday it's a special occasion yeah you want to make them feel good but why are my feelings entangled Mm. with that does that make Mm. sense absolutely absolutely and and at some level there's a need you know the validation you want to demonstrate something you want to demonstrate it comes from a, a beautiful intention you know which is to demonstrate that this person is of value to you that they matter to you and that you've considered you've taken time out and I think that's always and I, I think that is the, one of the challenges I have as an, as an empath is to to make much more conscious just decisions and have a word with myself about what is my intentions behind that. Whereas before I would give free willingly, but then feel incredible resentment, you know, and I, even now I can hear myself say it. When I hear myself say, after all I've done for them, that's <laughs> when I know it's my manipulation. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. But then in a way, it's for me, it's like, okay, say I have done all these things for them with oh, the good yeah. intention, Absolutely. with the good intention. And then they're like, they throw something back at you or something like that. And you're like, but yeah, I'm wounded now because I did, I was really yeah. nice. I spent time. It might not have been financial. It might have been, mm-hmm. but there was still something. Absolutely. So then your, your ego is bruised and it's just like, well, hold on. Did I waste my time? So then are you then internalizing that resentment, not necessary resentment for them, obviously, because they've taken a piss or whatever. But for you, it's like, well, I invested my time and my time is precious with someone who I was hoping would give me back something, even if it's not financial, it's not present. There you go. And that, there you Something go. Something nice, the feeling. There you go. There's that manipulation, right? Yeah. Well, or, or in, well, this is the thing, right? To question <laughs> is to grow. Okay. Because, because I'm a reflector. Empathic people are reflectors. Narcissistic individuals deflect. They shift things away from them. That's why empaths are perfect for them because we're so busy doubting ourselves because we don't trust ourselves. We're there scrutinizing all our decisions. So I'm a reflector. And I know that's a part of my nature. So, so now, when I hear myself after all I've done, I need to check myself. What has been my intention in giving? What was my hope? I need to have a word with myself, especially once my friend's resentment comes along. Because there's an agenda I have and I need to be conscious of my agenda. Because it's my agenda that I'm not conscious of that's hurting me. Right. You see? Yeah. Yeah. So is that the difference, the main difference between, say, empaths and narcissistic people? The the afterthought. So the um like you said, the remorse isn't quite there for narcissistic people and it possibly is for empathic people? It's it's a host of lots of various things. But remember it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. but naturally empathic people we don't trust in ourselves we're not trusting of ourselves we often doubt ourselves and this is why narcissistic individuals exploit that narcissistic individuals are wrong and strong and they deflect so they'll ask you a question and because we empaths are so often untrusting on ourselves we're sitting there thinking oh well, maybe it was me maybe it wasn't right so we've gone down that lane often which is beautiful for them because then we're distracted Right. Shaggy, it wasn't me. That's why by the time you want to get back around to the question that you were asking, you've already forgotten because now you're feeling bad and you've taken the bait and you've gone down memory lane. Yeah. And that's why when empaths start to embrace aspects of narcissistic behaviors, for example, deflecting. So when I say to myself, Key, if I've been rejected, what if it's not about you? (laughs) Yes. Yes, 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 yes. What if it's not about you? See, that's a part of that empath narcissism. Mm -hmm. Thinking that everything's about me. Mm -hmm. What did I do wrong? Maybe if I was this, maybe if I... What if it ain't about you, girl? What if Mm -hmm. he's got an attachment style where he's dismissive and avoidant? Because it all goes back to attachment styles. What if he's dismissive and avoidant? So he will dismiss you. And if you try to have the conversation, he's going to avoid that. What if it's not about you, Key? 
So if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, and obviously if you're in a relationship of any kind, it needs to be equal. However, is it possible to have some form of healthy relationship with a narcissist if you're aware of their traits and feel that, you know, you can communicate or you can avoid the deflection and know some kind of Jedi mind tricks or something? Do you think it is possible for an empath and a narcissistic person to have a relationship of any kind? Well, if you think about it, right, if you are going through a divorce and you've got kids and property and let's say kids, right, you're going to have to have this relationship with that individual. And there are ways that you'll have to learn to manage that relationship. Because don't worry, if you forget, if you slip, you'll slide. They're exploitative people. So they'll capitalise on a chink in your armour. They're brilliant at it because it's their childhood trauma. It's how they coped with their own childhood traumas. That means they are so brilliant at what they do, just as we are so brilliant at what we do, which is why we make great helping professionals as empathic people, which is where we often are, which is one of the reasons why we're often, not all the time, in lower paid jobs, because the helping industries doesn't pay. Why would it when we give our time for free? Look at the NHS. It, it, It runs off of so much free labor for people who don't go home on time, who don't have lunch breaks. Many fields, many helping fields uh, are run off of free labor. Often women who don't know how to advocate for themselves, who don't speak up for themselves, kind of take what they're given and keep working really hard and tirelessly. Often we do it for the team or for the people that we support. So it's, 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 it's about, like I said, this is why I'm so passionate about helping us as empaths understand who we are, understand our nature, and, 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 and how sometimes it actually costs us in many ways, financial, in our careers. You know, I had a client recently, she was earning 40K, and uh, she went off sick because she was exploited. She's now renegotiated her job. She's now getting 70. Wow. Because you know wow. what? know her so they'll just ride you like a donkey if you don't know your worth they're not going to teach you that's a 30 grand difference in what six weeks of therapy when she was on my program six weeks you've negotiated a whole of it because you now know your worth so do you feel that if you are completely whole within yourself then you would be able to have healthy relationships with these types of people? I think, I think one of, another principle of my program is acceptance. You have to accept you are dealing with an unnecessarily difficult person. And depending on how extreme that is, what can be th- helpful to you is to put legal frameworks in place right. that are backed up, where it's very clear you know, sometimes we get a little bit inspired as empaths. You might have a little conversation and think, okay, yeah, we'll do this. You have an agreement with someone who's highly disagreeable. So, okay, let's not go through the solicitors. We'll do this. You do this. You pay me this much. You turn up. Then what happens? If they've always violated you, they'll just violate you again. So it, 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 I would always, no matter what, say, for example, for divorce, 
I always encourage people to get legal frameworks in place. If they, if that person has had a lack of regard for you or has always exploited you, and let's be frank, they know our chinks in the armor, then it's in your best interest to have a legal, because then you know exactly what you're dealing with. But we have to give up the notion of the fantasy we may have in our mind, which is about a parent who wants to co-parent in a respectful, mutually beneficial way for the child. You know, that notion often gets a lot of empaths in problems because we can't fathom why someone would use their kids as a tool for manipulation and control. Yeah, but that's your bias. It's our bias because of our agreeable nature. We, we got to get out of la la la. People are, people are dread. Mm. And if they use their kids, they use their kids. Why would it? Why? Because often that's what happened to them. When you look into their own yeah. traumas, unresolved traumas, they will be very normal. This is deep. Well, it's all okay. So for me, <laughs> it's like you said, dreamland and living with that hope and not I've had it so many times I'm like well I'm nice so obviously they're gonna be nice and if I think that I'm gonna treat this person because that's what you should do not everyone thinks the same as you and that was a very hard lesson for me that's not everybody good. has the same intentions or the same thing as me yeah and it's coming outside of your ego because everyone's an individual and you know some people can be evil if they want to be <laughs> yes but, if but you, you know what I mean absolutely yeah, but if you listen to it it's like it, it's really and it's like this is like that echo of, of empathic narcissism right which is everybody should be like me I assume everybody's like me why wouldn't everybody be like me who do we think we are who do we think we are no that's a youism that's a youism and you need to be careful with your empathic euisms because if you're not careful, people will exploit you for it. And that's very scary. That's very scary because I also think that sometimes I get into situations, like say it's a new job, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go above and beyond because I'm working hard. I want them to know that I'm working hard. So, you know, they, they like me getting that thing back. But as you said, people can take advantage of that so how do you know when to put those boundaries in place so I'm thinking you know you need to do it straight away but it's for someone that struggles with that how do you know when to do it well again this leads us back to the principle of self-awareness becoming conscious so when you look at things like work and and demonstrating your brilliance you know you have to be grounded in, in, in knowing that this is something that you're doing. Say if you're on a temporary contract and you want to be made permanent, you become conscious. You become conscious of that. So you, you are making a conscious choice to do it. That's the difference. I used to be a probation officer. I used to go above and beyond in that job. Utterly exploited. Now I go above and beyond in my private practice. Absolutely appropriate. Absolutely appropriate. How can I, I, I make a conscious choice? So I get my job, I get my, feet, I get my feet under the table. I demonstrate that. Unless if we even add the dynamic of race and what it might mean to be a black woman 
in those jobs, which mm-hmm. often results in us because culturally we were taught you have to go above and beyond because you're going to be seen as inferior because you're not from the power dominant group. Right. So then you have another toxic mix when you add a, a so-called inferiority complex into that because you're not from the power dominant group. So we often go above and beyond to prove. And I saw that tirelessly throughout probation. Women who went above and beyond to prove they never got the next level up. As you went up the, 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 the food chain, the shades were clear. The lighter shade to the top. And let's be frank, I'm a light-skinned female. I'm going to have far more privileges. I got curly hair, right? I'm going to have far more privileges than my darker-skinned counterpart. Mm. So, so these, when you add, you know, when you add the dynamic of race and class, you know, can you navigate those circles? Do you have the vocabulary? Do you eat the right food? All of those nuances, when you add that to the dynamic, we have to be very mindful because it's one of the things that makes us, but, you know, compassion fatigue is a real massive issue for many health, professional helping empaths. Because you, you, you just, in, in the end, you just, you're just there in body. You don't care anymore. If you've not, you know, been given opportunities to move up, to do different types of roles, and you're just stuck in the same old, same old, same old. We know often we can be doing operational jobs, delivering, but we don't make decisions. And that can be frustrating. It's one of the reasons I've chosen to work for myself. I I don't have to play with the gatekeepers who who might let me in, who might not let me in. So it's about, you, you make a conscious choice about where you go above and beyond. It's not that you don't do it, but you begin to discern how it can really benefit you. So, for example, getting the permanent job, cool. But then when you get the permanent job, go go home at five o'clock, shut your laptop. Shut your laptop, go home. Or, or do you have your side hustle? Better you go above or beyond in there, you have a degree of control. Because often it's when we hit that glass ceiling, because we've been going above and beyond, for example, you're not getting in, you're not getting any further, that that can create resentment, anger, frustration, depression, exploitation. But if we're not conscious, we don't know we're doing it to ourselves. Mm. So I really want people to become clear, you know. So we use our we use our energy mindfully. Often empaths, we are often channeling our energy into situations we can't change, and we don't know we're doing it. We're just not conscious. Mm. So if you have gone to the point where if you are in a job and unfortunately your boss is a narcissist and or you're in a relationship with someone and you're like, right, I can't do this anymore. Because like you said, it gets to that breaking point where it's within everything that you do, you're you're feeling it within your body. You've got IBS, you've got I don't know, psychosis or, you know, migraines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What can you expect when you finally just say enough's enough and you completely just say, nah, it's not for me. You can't well, contact with that relationship. You break that relationship. Well, the breaking of the relationship will take time because remember our ego is often entrapped in it. Mm. And be, often because we're, we're running off the driver of if I could be kind enough, nice enough, do enough, people will like me. That's a big part of our egos because it's been helpful to us in the past. 
Remember, this is the psychology of a child. That psychology has not been scrutinized or looked at in our adult life. So we're still running from that script. So that is a process which takes time. It's not, you can't just hard break. It, it, you mean crisis, but remember, you know, there might be lots of things that are intermingled with that. So it's not, you know, your job, your career. You know, if you're working towards a qualification, there's all of those aspects. So you can't just, but getting the support. It's when we go from contemplation to taking an action. This is why when people sign up for a call with me, I always want to know, why now? Mm. What What is, or, or we, we get on a call and someone says, um, I don't know where to begin. I said, what hurts the most? You, you're calling me because it, it's gotten to that point. Something is taking you into action. So I would say for people, it would, it would involve an action to get assistance. It's the action. So for some people, that might mean they call like myself directly. Some people have employee assistance programs. So you get therapy as a part of your contract of employment. So the EAP is employee assistance programs, and that's depending on your employer. You might have Bupa, AXA, Aviva. So it's that action. And that action is, is to some degree a form of surrender. It's about saying, really, to me, when, on those calls, I can't go on as I am anymore. And it's where, it's, you know, for some people, there'd be a fear of therapy. It's fine. But it's where the fear it's where it's there's a tipping point so yeah I might fear having to look at myself and there's things I've avoided in my life and I kind of want to push that away but but the tipping point comes when I just cannot keep doing this so I have to consider change now like your hand's slightly forced and and like I said that can be a, a, a beautiful window of opportunity for your future self I'm not talking about me capitalizing on that as someone who has a business I'm talking about for the future self that you have dreams of, for your future ambitions, for the change you want for yourself, for the part of you that knows you can no longer keep doing this. It's a wonderful opportunity for the future self that you want to manifest into reality. Give yourself a chance. You've spent so long doing others. Just give yourself some space to just try you for one. And I'm assuming that's probably not an easy process. I think or it depends it? on how stubborn we are. Right. So it's that ego, ego and the looking at yourself. That's yes. right. It depends how stubborn we are. You see? Depends how much in denial we are, how frightened we are, how much guilt we, how much we live by fear. And that's true because if you are in a relationship with a narcissistic person, like you said, it's not something that's happened overnight and it's just not one thing, it's that constant cycle. Well, if you're looking at, look at the relationship, what are you fearful about? And it could be the fear of, rejection but also the fear of being alone that's a big one yeah that's a big one 
The big one is being alone. That's the massive one. And that, that is the must big one. drive so many people because, yeah, that is a scary thought to be alone Absolutely. forever. Absolutely. You can't be with someone who is negatively affecting your being and your soul and your spirituality and everything. However, people fear the unknown. Ah. People fear who they could become. People are comfortable in the uncomfortableness of the known. This is why crisis breakdown can be your breakthrough. If, if you're supple enough, if you're open enough, if you are abused enough, hurt enough to the point where you cannot do it no more. Those are the people I want to speak to because I under, I totally get it. And we've all done that. And that's humans. Like, look, there's lots of things we want to change. All of us have things we want to change. I'm supposed to be a size eight by now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your baby, I'll be your. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I watch out after Christmas. Everybody's going to be in that little opportunity space. You know what I'm saying? When they're yeah. like, right, let me sign up to the gym and there's going to be a whole load of people waiting for them. New year, new me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's that, it's that, it's that window. But, but for me, it's about saving lives. Mm. Especially for so many, you know, I work with a lot of females and I have my male, my male clients too. And, and I get for women... Often, majority of the women I work with are mothers. And mothers, the reality is, shoulder majority of the child rearing tasks. That's the reality of it. Mm. So when, when, when we lose it, when we're not able to, to get a handle on the, 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 the issues that are dragging us down, draining our energy, this has a profound impact on how we raise our children on our capacity to be present. Then if you add single parenthood into that, whew, there's no one else. It's just you. You, you can't keep putting them in front of a, a tablet or the, the computer, the kids. You're saving your life here. You know, so... How can we make space for the future self, like today, I was just walking down the street thinking how grateful I am. Like I imagined I would have, you know, sometimes it's so easy to forget in this capitalist society, you always think about the next thing, but actually, you know, I had a leisurely morning. I'm now having a podcast with you. I've got clients this afternoon. Like I created that. Everything is energy, just as the energy I used to apply into relationships where I used to think I could change someone and help them. I, I don't do that now. I channel it into purpose and to having a meaningful life. And that's one of the most important antidotes to common mental health problems, purpose and meaning in your life. And many of us don't have purpose. We don't have meaning. We have a subscription to Netflix. We binge watch. We binge eat alongside it. We become incredibly sad. I'm watching others on social media too. Who are putting the best bits out because who's showing you the back of the tapestry? Mm. Yeah. 
show the back of the tapestry. That's where it really goes down. So that's comparisonitis. You now develop comparisonitis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah? And all the while you're comparing, you are missing the power you have of your choice. Do you know how much empaths I work with who are still staying in the situation? And it's not a problem because they're making a conscious choice. Sometimes you have to kiss the ass before you can kick it, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a fan of speak your truth. I'm not a fan of it. You tell people to speak their truth, you could put them in a very volatile situation. Yeah. You know, I've got many clients all over the world. If you want to come out about your sexuality, you need to be mindful if you live in the Middle East. It's not wise. You leave people very vulnerable. Why? encourage people to think about is discernment learning to discern like you said right you don't just make these knee-jerk reactions you take time your knee-jerk reactions is where you're going to go into your default that's consciousness you're becoming conscious of yourself so you're giving yourselves time to reflect because that's what you've denied yourself because you know the people pleaser in you is dominant so when you give yourself space you ponder you ponder, to reflect, to consider, does this work for me? That's a beautiful question for empathic people. And so, you know, like I teach my clients, like, it's a journey. This is a journey. There'll be times you don't need me, you won't hear from me. And then all of a sudden I'll get ping, 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 ping on the phone. Kate, I need to chat to you. Boom, it's cool. <laughs> it's live. And just as, you know, I have the same experiences when life catches up with me and then I think, right, I need to go and chat to my therapist and just kind of check what's going on with me you know like of recent I get I just get annoyed at how much I can attune to people and actually in intimate relationships are quite unhelpful at times because mm. then I'm a bit like how well what about my needs yeah but if I'm so able to attune to people you know I have to then make consciously you know express myself express my needs to be really clear because I'm empathic and I can attune to people without, it's what I do every single day, I attune to people. But what about how, you know, getting people to attune to me? And that's about me being explicit. Which I kind of, you know, the part of me would be like, well, you just think people would know. Check yourself, girl. Obviously you do one-to-one -one, um, therapy sessions with people. Um, how else do you support others who feel that they may be empaths or in um a narcissistic relationship or toxic relationship what how could how could they find you and what could they expect so the main way now that i'm moving is through my program navigate narcissism now and so that's a rolling program people come on as and when they choose to that is a six-month program which is designed to have community because one of the Issues I've found as I've evolved as a therapist is sometimes feeling guilt that I'm just doing this on a one-to-one. -one. And actually with these insights that I have, that I keep gaining through this intimate work with people, bringing my ideas together and creating a community of people, of like-minded people who realize it's not just me because we can often be in secret or think that it's just us. So I'm much more about bringing us together as a community of people, of like-minded people with the same agenda, which is to not lose our empathy, 
but to learn to protect it, to become curious about it, and not just blindly led by our need to give. Because as we begin to realise, this is often about our childhood trauma. Because sometimes, right, like recently, I'll have a victory for my soul, for example, letting go of a relationship, that's a victory for my soul. But my personality, my ego don't like it. The ego got the problem with it. You know, so that we can all, each one teach one. So navigate narcissism now is a profound way to create community. And, and at some point I want to do retreats and I want to go oh. discos. I want to have a little disco because we need a little disco, you know? Yeah. We need a little yeah. disco. We need a little time to get together and throw our hands up. I think we're a really beautiful people. And I just think that, you know, it's wise for us to learn about, learn about ourselves at a deeper level so that we can live wholeheartedly. We can give, you know, some of the things we talk about sounds like it's all humdrum, but you imagine once you start to get this stuff, once you start to understand it and apply it to your life, you can live so much more wholeheartedly. So when you give, you give with a true intention. And if you get nothing back, it's blessed because we gave with clarity. We gave with clarity. We knew. Even if you give this to the agenda, say if you've got a tricky parent, a tricky daddy, and you choose to give him. It's a beautiful thing. Stormzy was talking about that with um, uh, Louis Theroux, recent interview with him, mm. talking about his fury towards his father, who was a cab driver. And at one point he said when he, when he got big, his dad asked him for money for a car. And he was like, how, how dare you? Like, you weren't even there for me as a child. And he said as he wrote the last, his latest album, he didn't feel that way anymore towards his father. Something shifted in him. You imagine that beautiful healing process? When, when we free ourselves from harboring up bad feelings to people who have done us wrong, we, it just shifts. And then if he chooses to give his daddy a car, if he chooses to, you know, he can give in a very different way. Mm. It's a beautiful journey. No, it's a beautiful journey. So yes, people work with me on Navigate Narcissism now and or then they choose to work with me on a one-to-one. And when they work with me on the one-to-one, you know, a lot of people are scared of groups because they think they have to, you know, give out their whole life. You don't. You know, I facilitate it. And if you choose to, you come on, you ask questions. If you don't want to, that's fine. But, but there is such a power in people realising I'm not alone. Mm. And I think, you know, wholeheartedly, I think that's what, like, church was about, right? With us, mm. everybody becoming much more spiritual, those places have gone. Like, the, the church was always a staple in the community. Well, what's the problem now? Loneliness. And we don't have places to go to have community. So we create that community, but it is a community I want to create physically because we need, we need to rub up against each other, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And um, your book... Your yes, book. Tell us a bit about your book. Yeah. I feel like we need another 10 episodes of this. <laughs> <laughs> my book, Why Love Hurts. Yes. It's a, it's a documentary of what I've experienced. It's a documentary about what I also am privileged to see, you know, as a wounded healer, not that I heal anybody, but as someone who's, you know, um, let's say a few steps further along the majority of my clients are, because we're all journeying, it's all a journey. Yeah. Um, on different pages absolutely absolutely different chapters um mm. it's about helping people to realize that we co-create our reality and there are choices that we're making 
and they may seem small and seemingly insignificant, but they actually have these massive ripples that create often the misery we don't want for ourselves. And the beauty of that is if you begin to see the conscious choice, this is how I manifested Key for Change. I was making all these small choices that manifested my misery in a relationship that was going nowhere. And I was like, well, if I take this energy and apply it to, I don't know, reading this one book for six ninety nine, all right, I'll give college a go. Well, I might as well give uni a go. Might as well give more. Like, that's how I've manifested key for change, the house I live in, the car I drive. Purposeful pain. We make the pain purposeful. And that's the secret to living a blessed life. And then, you know, if you help others. So that book is a, a story of, you know, how we do it to ourselves. And often related to, you know, like I said, the psychology of a child that we've never examined in our adult life is still governing us. Okay, I'll be sure to put all the links to everything that you did, including your book, in the show notes and on the blog for the website, which is www.womenwhorebrand. Um, and thank you so much, Keely. This has been such an amazing, I guess you can't get so deep within an hour, which is why I'm going to say this is an introduction to what you do. So people can take the links use the links click the link story and find out so much more and yeah. even join you on that retreat one day i'm gonna have to book myself in for that. <laughs> can we do this abroad please because we need yes. some sunshine some vitamin d absolutely. absolutely yes thank you so much so where can our lovely audience find you keely you can find me at keyforchange.com that's number four and for they both work um, and that will then take you to my socials, my YouTube channel. And if you're interested in Navigate Masters and Now, it's all there. You'll find it in my shop on the website. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us, Keely. Take Pleasure care. always. Bye. Bye. Bye.